the nachos. No rain, nor wind, nor snow classico. Putting the high line with Rabbi and Red. Talking the rabbits and turning heads. With questions from you and analysis. In your car, in your home. Thank you for tuning to Holding the High Line. Hello, Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. We are brought to you by Icarus SC and Roughneck Scarves. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Thursday, August 11th, 2022. Jossie's artist is rounding into form just in time for his first match against Columbus Crew since being traded to the Burgundy Boys. The Premier League is back, and most of the other European leagues are on their way this coming weekend if they have not started already. And... The Colorado Rapids are now just three points below the playoff line in the Major League Soccer Western Conference. I'm joined now by a man who is full of hummus and surrounded by chutzpah, Rabbi Mark Goodman. Hey guys, how's it going? Um, Matt is uh, Matt uh, is alluding to the fact that I am abroad. I am in Israel. Um, in fact, instead of uh, it's been a, it's been a really good trip, Matt. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're having a good time here. Mostly, I'm just eating things nonstop. That's really the goal. Except we were here for a fast today, which is not ideal. You you come you come to Israel, you come to eat, and uh, on the second day you arrive, you you literally can't eat or drink anything for 25 hours. It's super dumb. But hey, that's life. That's tough coming out of international flight too, Rabbi. Uh, how was the that was how was the easy. jet lag? Obviously, we're recording this. Uh, I got early for us to record before uh, I had to go to work. We didn't want to record before the All-Star game in case something dramatic happened in that as it related to a Columbus Crew player looking ahead to this game on Saturday. For the most part, holding the high line this year, folks, will be MLS All-Star game agnostic if the MLS All-Star game refuses to acknowledge the existence of Diego Rubio or the Colorado Rapids in general then we will refuse to ignore it and any of these sponsors that it comes from. That's the deal, Don Garber. You made your bed with this. So uh, Rabbi, so we, so we were waiting until that. We thought we might record on th- Wednesday night for me, Thursday morning for you. So it's now almost quarter to 7 a.m. on Thursday, August 11th. And I'm going to assume, Rabbi, it's almost dinner time for you. How's how's the the jet lag and adjusting to that, Ben? And have you done anything soccer related? So adjusting to jet lag, no big deal. It's a, a nine hours difference. So it's four o'clock in the afternoon here, Matt. So it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, nine hours difference to to Colorado and seven hours to the United States. The kids bounce back pretty good. I mean, we we did we did pretty good too. Um, it, it just took a couple days. There were a couple nights in a row, like the second and the third night in a row, where like we inexplicably, my daughter and I inexplicably woke up at like one o'clock in the morning and just couldn't get back to bed. And like one of those days, we went back to bed at six a.m. and the other day we just got up and that was that. And that's how we got. O- that's how you get over jet lag. You. When you, you just you just have one day where you're like, I'm going to tough it out. I'm going to keep going. Um, soccer related. Um, mostly I've been looking for soccer trinkets. Um, I saw an Israel national jersey to buy the other day, but it was at the fancy schmancy store. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to go to the mall that I haven't been to in like 20 years 
they have like a sporting goods store and they should have a couple of teams. But strangely enough, Israeli soccer team stuff is actually pretty hard to find. Um, generally, you get it at the stadium at the game or you don't get it at all. There was one store in the kind of outdoor um, like market, which is called the Shook, um, that used to have this kind of stuff. But I walked by it the other day and I think the store was out of business. So I don't think I may give it a go tomorrow morning if I'm really feeling adventurous. But um, we, we took the train, uh, my daughter and I, yesterday up north. It's, it was about a three hour each way train trip to visit some um, some folks that I, I teach online. Um, and on the train, we passed by not one, not two, but three uh, huge stadiums. The state of Israel has really done a good job of building a lot of cookie cutter stadiums at the second division. Um, imagine kind of like if the Houston Dynamo, FC Dallas, Colorado Rapids stamp, which those three stadiums are almost identical for anyone who's been to any of them. Um, imagine if a country used f- kind of state money and civic money to build 20 of those. So there are all these round, um, half-covered stadiums that seat about 11,000, uh, or somewhere between eight and 11,000. There's like 20 of them. Um, we passed by the the one for Netanya, the one for Akko, uh, and we also passed by um, the stadium or one of the smaller teams uh, in Tel Aviv. So, um, but the Israeli Premier League is a, is a decent-sized league. I'd say the, the top teams are pretty good. Um, just yesterday, um, the champions from last year, Maccabi Haifa, um, qualified for the final round of, of the qualifying before the group stage of the UCL. So... Haifa is going up against one of the scariest teams in all of Europe, and that is um, Partizan Belgrade. Um, and they have to play a home-and-home series against them in order to qualify. Those matches in Israel are actually not nationally televised. Um, the last round, which was... Uh, shoot, I, oh, it was uh, Apollonia Limassol, the champions of Crete, or... Cyprus, I think, actually Cyprus. Um, that that match was only broadcast on YouTube TV. So if you have YouTube TV, you might be able to watch all of uh, the uh, Maccabi Haifa matches for this year. So, so that's pretty exciting. But otherwise, um, the Israeli Premier League kicks off this Saturday. Um, Saturday night, in most of the cities, the games will not start until the Sabbath is over. So Shabbat comes in, uh, Shabbat goes out at about 8.15. So the match day starts at 8.30. But that's only if your city has a significant number of religiously observant Jews. If you don't have religiously observant Jews, you can kick off an hour earlier at 7 o'clock. So the entire Israeli Premier League will kick off this Saturday. Um, I don't think I can go to a match because my club that I really love is playing its first home match in Petah Tikva which is about an hour and a half away. And we have to catch a plane the next day. So my in-laws will be nervous. So my plan is probably if I'm up for it to um, find out which bars in, in the nearby area will show Israeli soccer uh, and, and go and hit match day number one here at the local pub. 
It's interesting, Rabbi, what you said about merch in terms of you get it at the stadium, you get it at the game, or you don't get it at all. I was obviously, every single time that I've been abroad, I am, you know, constantly on the lookout for stuff and, and everything. And, you know, when I go with my parents or I go with other people, like I tell them, like, this is what I'm looking for. These are the colors that will be or like the name that you're going to try and find if something close to English that we're looking for. And so I remember when my mom and my dad which, uh, took a European river cruise, they came back after going to Belgrade grade and got me a red star belgrade scarf mark but i have to admit it was uh, i was searching for some diamonds in the rough last time i was in europe in order to get the scarves that i got the fire nord scarf obviously i got physically at the game and then the antwerp scarf that i got for myself and for you i found at one decent store that had merch as well and then they were they had some old belgium stuff as well because they were waiting for that stuff to get sold out before in order to make room obviously for the new merch that was going to come later in the year for the world cup obviously you know we're what four months out from the world cup and we mostly don't have any of that going on so you can get you can get um betar yerushalayim betar jerusalem stuff uh i was just on the main drag in in the shopping district to get new kipot because you can't there are no you can't get decent kipot in in uh, pittsburgh so i bought two new kipot i'm wearing one of them it's a black one with a little fringe um very exciting because literally i mean think about it folks like I have to get on a plane and spend like the airfare to Israel is between a thousand and fifteen hundred dollars. I have to spend fifteen hundred dollars to get a decent kippa, right? Which is a thing I literally wear every single day of my life. Um, the alternative is to have married a woman who knows how to knit, and I did not. So, or to teach myself to knit. Um, but the the so Beitar Jerusalem uh, in Maccabi Tel Aviv, you could probably get on the street in Tel Aviv anywhere, but we didn't spend any time in Tel Aviv. Um, I went through Haifa, um, but didn't stop. I assume you could get Maccabi Haifa stuff anywhere. Um, and by the way, Maccabi Haifa's goalkeeper is Josh Cohen, formerly of um, Sacramento Republic. So uh, an American, uh, a Jewish guy. So he's kind of like a he'll be a, it'll be a big deal if he makes it into the Champions League, um, especially if Arsenal isn't in the Champions League and uh, they wind up starting Ethan Turner at some point this year. But um Anyhow, uh, so the other club that you can get anywhere, of course, Barcelona and PSG. I saw a whole bunch of Barcelona and PSG merch uh, all over already, which is ridiculous. Yeah, you want uh, other places that I've been in Europe, Mark, you know, you you want uh, you you want Real Madrid, you want Barcelona or something, but getting something from a local club kind of depends on you being in the right spot or it being match day or you being around the stadium. You know, tourists going to um, you know going to random place in Spain that is not Barcelona or Madrid, looking for something other than the local team or Barcelona or Real Madrid. Um, you know, can be a little bit slim pickings. But Mark, you mentioned all the local pop up stadiums, and speaking of pop up smaller. Uh, you know, kind of basic stadiums. There's a new controversy that is occurring in our homeland, Mark, of Southern California as the lease for Orange County SC of Dylan Powers of defending USL champions of the USL championship are trying to renew their lease and there was a bidding process in order to see who could occupy and you know uh, have a home at the Orange County Great Park at the soccer, at the Champions Soccer Stadium and now there's a controversy as potentially LA Galaxy 2 who will be moving to USL Next Pro next season are potentially also vying for it Orange County SC tried to get out of this early uh, with a statement a club statement on the afternoon of August 8th basically 
accusing LA Galaxy of trying to threaten lower division soccer, saying that it's not in line with what they have, implying that, you know, this is MLS single entity as opposed to, you know, the, the true and organic, the true soccer growth that is occurring in the USL. And then some pretty scathing uh, banter here, Mark, basically saying, you know, that the, uh, the, the LA Galaxy are doing this amidst them losing out on the city of Los Angeles over the last three or four years. This team can't even make the playoffs and they're trying to kick out a team, you know, that has won the USL championship that has grown its community in the Orange County area as the LA Galaxy continue to try to affirm, even though they are in Carson, California, which is technically in Los Angeles County, that they are a Los Angeles team despite having more of their fan base from the OC. The LA Galaxy came out with a statement later, basically within 30 minutes, saying, the LA Galaxy are a proud partner of local soccer communities uh, and are committed to the positive growth of the sport uh, of soccer in Southern California. The LA Galaxy are not interested in an exclusive agreement for LA Galaxy 2 uh, to play at the Orange County Great Park Championship Soccer Stadium and have advised all parties of their our willingness to open up a conversation with the city of Irvine. city of Irvine owns the stadium and our stakeholders for a mutually agreeable arrangement pertaining to the use of the stadium moving forward. Uh, Mark, the LA, LA Galaxy Galaxy 2 normally have played, if not physically, at the main stadium at the Diggity. They have played at the track and field stadium, which is not a very – it is – I would argue it was. It might actually be worse than the original home of the Switchbacks, folks. So, Mark, there's some he said, she said in terms of the actual details about the, uh, you know, the uh, closed envelope bidding for it to the city of Irvine. There's some he said, she said in terms of are they bidding it for it being exclusive versus not. At the same time, Orange County SC are owned by a billion hedge funder who could have spent more money on that bid knowing potentially that it wasn't just going to be him bidding for it mark what do we make of this how do we continue to exist given this is now this might now be the front of the war between mls next pro and the usl it's a great challenge i I mean i think it's going to blow over right now but like um one of the comments that i really liked uh someone was making the argument that this is really one of those gut check moments. First of all, it's it's a, a shot fired in the soccer wars. Um, you know, it, it's basically there's been a very clear division between USL and MLS for the last couple of years. The two are not on the same page at all. They're they're not exactly competing because there are very few cities with both teams where they're competing in the same market for the same fans, um, but they're not cooperating at all. And I think that that's, I mean, LA is actually one of the rare places where they are um, competing effectively. They're, they're, they're not on the same page. Um, and Orange County is drawing way more fans than LA Galaxy too. So the idea that um, Orange County should be pushed out of their stadium so that the LA Galaxy could move in so that zero fans could attend those games was pretty bizarre. Um, it seems like on the face, like a, a, a challenge straight up to just try and eliminate this team. But the the flip side of that is um, USL teams need to grow up, right? Um, all these owners are, they're not hundred millionaires or billionaires. They tend to be tens of millionaires. And what that means is if they need to, if they want to exist in the future of soccer, they need to band together. A team ownership group needs to have, you know, in the hundreds of millions of dollars, and it needs to be able to buy its own stadium, Right. The reason the Pittsburgh Riverhounds are stable and they no longer have to worry is that they own their stadium and they own the parking lot. And so they don't have to worry financially about whether they have to share or whether the city's going to run them out or whether the lease is going to come up 
or whether they're going to be profitable. Um, they average about 4,000 fans a game. Parking is 15 bucks a car. They sell out the parking lot and more. And, and more. Um, they are doing great on merch, and they win every season, right? That's the model in USL. Do that for long enough, and maybe if you want, you might even be able to jump to MLS. But like the model of we're going to go down to the local you know, community soccer park and rent the 2,000-seat stadium and hope the city gives us a waiver on alcohol sales and hope that the LA Galaxy, who also share that stadium, aren't going to take all the choice dates. Or we hope that playing at the local baseball field is going to be okay for us, even though the view lines are terrible and, you know, players have to run across turf that's been laid over the pitcher's mound, right? Like, those are secondary options. And if you... Um, in, indulge in them and you persist in them for too many years, on some level, you get what you pay for, right? You you absolutely, you get what you deserve. You're, you're asking for trouble. So I am actually, you know, a little bit tough here on OC that um, they need to grow up. They need to put some big boy pants on. Um, and if they don't want to be bullied around by the big guys in soccer, they need to make smart moves. Yeah, no, well said there, Mark. I think like this is the this is the cautionary tale behind signing a short term lease for ultimately a city funded stadium. And this is the difference between doing private construction, as we've seen with some MLS stadia and other stadia around the world, where if you privately fund it, and understandably that's a big expense, and maybe you don't see that money for a while, or maybe that particular owner shells out a bunch of money and then doesn't get all of that money back in investment in terms of what becomes of the stadium and the revenue options and everything, that the benefit of that is you control everything in that regard. I was just looking it up, Mark, and if we're believing, you know, the Wikipedia page for Dick Sporting Goods Park was that, you know, the club in the city announced a, you know, know a 130 million dollar project and that included the city of commerce uh, commerce city and their voters agreeing to a bond for infrastructure improvement of 65 million dollars it's not clear to me when that's been paid back or anything but the point is is that Kroenke shelled out a bunch of money they own the surrounding land and everything say what you will about him as an owner say what you will about how KSC operate the Colorado Rapids they are first and foremost or Kroenke is first and foremost a real estate and a property guy and so he knows that and made it such that the Colorado Rapids were going to get evicted because an entirely, you know, city or state funded stadium and they only signed a short term lease thinking, oh, we might be bigger at this point and then potentially getting pushed out, you know, by, you know, an NWSL women's team that is able to take it over because they do better than the Rapids on the field or in the stands. And so I think this is a cautionary tale for this. I think this is also just a further indication that any market where lower division is trying to compete with MLS, that the MLS team and market is going to have more pull financially, is going to have more pull potentially politically and if there's an opportunity for them to flex their proverbial muscles in order to get a little bit more control or encroach on your territory in a way that benefits them in a certain way that they're potentially going to take advantage of that you know mark when's the last time you heard anything about new york cosmos not a whole lot why because there's two mls teams in the greater new york area and one of them's potentially building a stadium in queens the original home of uh or the original home of the New York Cosmos and it's also impeding on the I think there's a Queens USL team that's potentially coming as well you know Austin Boulder basically going the way of the Dodo because of Austin FC the Silverbacks have not existed since Austin F since 
Atlanta United have come into existence. Do I think that there are some markets big enough to have both an MLS team and various iterations of lower division teams, whether it's NISA, whether it's USL, an MLS Next Pro team affiliated or otherwise with that MLS team? Yes, but that requires on cooperation. And the simple fact is in any of those markets, big or small, the MLS team is going to be the big fish. I I hope this doesn't lead to Orange County becoming USL Wanderer, becoming Orange County Wanderers or anything. They are a good team. They are a good franchise. They are a net benefit to Orange County and to the USL championship and everything. I would not be opposed to there being some sort of shared agreement where those two teams use a good quality lower division soccer specific stadium rather than one of them having to be at the track and field stadium at Dignity Health Sports Park. But, you know, this is going to require some coordination. And clearly, if the LA Galaxy have the ability to flex their muscles for the benefit of their MLS Next Pro team and Orange County isn't able to or willing to do that, then that's going to be that's going to be a problem. So I don't think the Rapids are encroaching on Hailstorm or on Colorado Springs switchbacks anytime soon. But this is a cautionary tale, I think, for any MLS, any lower division team that is within 30 to 50 miles of a MLS stadium. Listeners, this past Saturday at Dick's Sporting Goods Park, the Colorado Rapids got their six-point week completed with a 4-3 victory over the hapless and undermanned Minnesota United. Uh, Abu Danladi gets the scoring started in the fourth minute to make it 1-0 off of a corner. Uh, Franco Fragapane with a great flick down header to bounce the ball off the turf and then Danladi finishing with a nice little side jump volley. A little bit of martial arts there, folks. Keegan Rosenberry slow to react to Fragapane at the near post and then Gustavo Viasia certainly undone at the back post by Abu Danladi. Jossie Zardes gets his first of three goals to tie it three minutes later off of a rebound from Diego Rubio. Great passing up the middle from some direct play from the Colorado Rapids to set up Rubio for the open shot. And then Dane St. Clair, who had a fantastic game the other night, Mark, in the All-Star game, bumbles his way and then allows Giassi Zardes to have a nice little tap-in. Very similar sequence to an opportunity Zardes would have had in the Rocky Mountain Cup, what, maybe a month ago now. And Giassi Zardes finished this uh, unlike he did against Zach McMath. 11th minute, it becomes 2-1 Diego Rubio with a thumping header off of a long throw from Keegan Rosenberry that was effectively a corner that caught the loons, napping three defenders in the area as well as the goalkeeper. Brent Coleman ducks at the last end. Maybe somebody communicated to him, Mark, that uh, somebody else had it and therefore he should duck, and maybe that person was Diego Rubio. I don't know. 15th minute, it becomes 3-1 Keegan Rosenberry with another quick throw in it to Michael Barrios, springing a counterattack. Barrios squares the ball through defenders to G. Zardes, who beats Dane St. Clair 1v1 to make it 3-1. to And then two minutes before halftime, Benitez uh, with a nice little move inside the box to find Amaria in space, who does a nice little, I don't know if it was officially a Cruyff turn, but he, he, he had his back to goal. He makes a nice turn to kind of face the front of goal and then shoot across goal, hit the inside side netting. Estevez was nutmegged by Benitez on the sequence. Danny Wilson maybe gave Amaria a little bit too much space. Really the only time that Amaria the whole night had enough space in order to make a move, think, and then finish in tight quarters. Dane St. Clair is great to start off the second half, but Mark, that was, of course, after a weather delay that came midway through halftime, and halftime in total, if you're talking about end of the first half, to start of the second half, total almost one minute and 41 hour 
and 45 minutes, uh, one of the longer continuous rain delays, weather delays that we have seen at Dick's Sporting Goods Park. That also prompted a scheduled halftime sub, folks, with Jack Price coming out. No extended calf injury whatsoever. Robin Frazier said after the game he wanted to make sure that the the time that uh, Jack Price had been out since June 19th, I believe, was the last time that he was going to be out. So in comes Felipe Gutierrez, who had just signed with the team and I thought had a fantastic debut in the second half. 61st minute, Jassi Zardes makes it 4-2. Very similar sequence to the Rapids' first goal. Diego Rubio with a shot outside the box. Dane St. Clair doesn't gather the rebound. Zardes makes the uh, a preemptive run and then ultimately has a tap-in with the keeper right there. 81st minute, Brent Coleman makes it 4-3, to three, the final scoreline, uh, with a header at the back post. Danny Wilson in a position to defend him there. Some poor set-piece defending from the Rapids on the whole of last week, folks. And then finally, a spectacular save on a breakaway by William Yarbrough on Hulongwane. H-L-O-N-G-W-A-N-E on the last name. Rapids get out of Dodge 4-3. Rabbi, what was your good thing from this past Saturday's victory over the Death Loons? Because I was in Israel, that match came on at 4 o'clock in the morning for me, and so I did not watch it. So all I got to see was, and all you can pick up on MLS's uh, is highlights and basically all the highlights because of all the scoring is was goals. So um, I mean, Jossie Zardes hat trick is has got to be it. I think you know we 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 stopped talking about the Jossie Zardes uh, DefCon chart uh, effectively, and and now I think the reason for that is it is pretty much gone. Like we we don't have to. We're not really worried about whether Jossie Zardes can score anymore and we're also starting to potentially move into the world where we are eating some crow over um diego rubio like where we basically have to acknowledge that like um you know uh, joe samuelson our friend uh and fellow writer podcaster uh posted today that his um goals added is third amongst all mls strikers and basically everybody else on the list is at the all-star game which we will proceed to not talk about um but like you know, we were saying a couple months ago, gee, I don't know. I don't think Jossie Zardes and Diego Rubio complement each other. And also, neither of them has been pr- very productive. And therefore, this seems like a bust. We were trying to fix the wrong pieces or Porik, you know, he, he, he shot a shot. You know, he basically said, Jossie Zardes is the guy we should go out and get. By the way, I said we should go out and get Jossie Zardes. And then I said we should be patient. And then I started to think to myself, like, I think we're done here. I think the Jossie Zardes experiment failed, has failed. And no sooner did I say that, the Jossie Zardes experiment seems to be succeeding. And Diego Rubio seems to be a productive um, kind of recessed number nine um, shoulder running, uh, you know, twin striker. Um, Matt Doyle also had some really interesting points in the um, in his his piece this week, which I highly recommend. He made a really good point, which I um, I don't know if I agree with. But uh, I think it's worth because I think Matt was looking at it the wrong way. Matt was looking at the new formations that Robert Frazier has dropped, which is he's effectively gone 4-4-2, 4-1-4-1 or 4-3-3, depending on how you look at it or depending on you know who's on the field at any given time and effectively dropped the 3-5-2 uh, uh, attack. And Matt Doyle's take on that was basically oh, you know, this is functional and this is strategic. Um, and my take has been get the best 11 guys on the field and our best 11 guys has not included three center backs. We don't have three center backs who are as good as 
you know, enough to rate that they'd get themselves onto the field in any situation. So if you're getting your best 11 on the field, then it's then it means four at the back. So I think those are a few of the takeaways that I had from this match, which is that um, the Rapids have, have turned a corner with both of their strikers. They've turned a corner with their um, positioning. They seem to be on the upswing and they're scoring, they're getting points. Um, you know, I mean, they really need to get all the points um, at home because their road, road form has been so shaky um, for the rest of the way in order to make the playoffs. And so far, they are getting all their home points. Um, they're even getting road points, as we saw the other day. So a uh, big thing or, or a good thing from this match is that we are really turned around and we're doing really well. Matt, what uh, from from a seasoned veteran who was in the catbird seat watching all the events, even after the rain delay, um, what was your takeaway from this match? Yeah, no, one of the benefits of being in the press box, folks, despite it being a mostly outdoor press box, there's some seating at like the top level um, right before the windowed glass to ultimately go outside uh, that usually the photographers take over. Um, For an outdoor press box, we are relatively well protected from the elements. I have been to pretty much every single home game from the press box since the start of the 2016 season. I I can't recall a game where we were rained on, where we actually had precipitation on our countertop or the seats that we had were pretty well protected by the roof that extends out a good, I'd say at least 15 to 20 feet above and beyond uh, where we are there. The only time we really have weather is when there's a lot of wet, heavy, but slow moving, fluffy snow. And then there's a little bit of a wind draft, in which case then we can get snow in our faces. But Mark, as you can attest to, usually when there is a snow classico, I am the only person who has electronics out because I'm a crazy person. And I like (laughs) to tweet through snow classicos, regardless of what's going on with my frostbite. And everybody else is just kind of like, okay, I'll write after the game. And I'm not using my phone until it's time to record stuff post game but so you know, I, I thought Felipe Gutierrez was absolutely fantastic. I wasn't really sure what to expect from him. Obviously, you and I, Mark, were a little bit not skeptical of the player, but just disappointed that that was the only move that the Rapids made after Mark Anthony K, and that ultimately this was putting a Band-Aid over a long-term problem with no option to buy. I'm not sure that Felipe Gutierrez is coming back to MLS or coming back to the or coming to the Colorado Rapids long-term. And so then ultimately it was, well, this is, you know, we're basically, we're bringing in one guy to play a gap right now and maybe we've made certain promises to him financially maybe he just really wants to hang out with Diego Rubio on his off days maybe they're guaranteeing him playing time in ways that he was not getting uh, at his club team back in South America and so you know I was kind of wondering what were we going to see from him and I thought he came in he was immediately a gamer I was really impressed with what he did defensively too for as much as Sporting Kansas City Twitter you know praised what he had done on the ball from a goal scoring standpoint from a number 10 standpoint point, you know, he comes in, he puts in the defensive work rate. And really at times, not many opportunities, but several sequences where Minnesota had Colorado under the caution. Ultimately, there was an opportunity for the for him to make a play with the ball coming to him, how quickly he took a defensive action. And then every single person I spoke to post game, Jossie Zardes, Diego Rubio, um, Robin Frazier, all said unprompted and without describing specifically what I'm about to tell you, all said the exact same thing. The ball comes to him. The game slows down. He's calm. There's absolutely no panic. He's aware 
there situationally and spatially with what's around him, he makes a really quick and decisive move and then gets out of pressure. This is a guy who on the ball, two loons defenders on him, he was going to he was going to clown them. And so I thought that was really critical in several moments. I didn't necessarily see what I wanted to see from him offensively, but obviously at that point, the Rapids had already scored three goals. And I'm wondering what his role is going to be going forward in a midfield where, you know, Mark, we've pretty much, you know, in the absence of any other signings and Price not being fully healthy and some of the other options that the teams had off the bench, Diego Rubio is the number 10 on this team. He's effectively an underneath false striker from a midfield role. We saw that in terms of how he's gone forward and try and shoot. We saw it against Red Bulls. We've seen it against Portland. Uh, we're now, we now we saw him effectively get two assists to Giassi's artists in this one. And so is Gutierrez going to be a little bit more of an eight and that defensive work rate I think it's something he's certainly physically capable of. I'm not sure that it's obvious to me that he did that in Sporting Kansas City. And so maybe Robin Trazier has found another really creative way to find a player with a certain set of skills, play them slightly out of position, and then have it work out spectacularly. Uh, I want to mention the Colorado Rapids punishing the mistakes of the opponent. This is the second game in which they did that really, really well. Where previously, Mark, in the season, we would have seen the Rapids have a very, very high XG. The opponents make mistakes. The Rapids get really, really good high-quality opportunities. Keeper makes a really great save. They don't end up finishing the opportunities. The opponent finishes those opportunities as well. I would say the opponents in the last two games also finished their opportunities, and this could have gone really, really close to... We're like two plays away, folks, from it being two points instead of six points last week. We're like three or four plays away from it being two losses. So, um, you know, we we have to take that certainly in context. And then the last thing that I want to say, Mark, is the long throws component. I asked Robin Frazier about that. Two long throws from Keegan Rosenberry. To my knowledge, Mark, the Rapids do not have a uh, a throw-ins specialist on uh, on their coaching staff, unlike Liverpool FC. But I asked him about it. You know, was this just two moments of Keegan Rosenberry recognizing it? Or is this a indication that they've worked on this systematically and this is now a part of their offense and potentially a new set piece they take advantage of. And Robin Frazier went full coach speak, Mark. My Robin Frazier's not telling me everything meter was certainly going off haywire when he said this. He mentioned, you know, Chris Sharpie is at time, you know, one of the best set piece, you know, special teams coaches that exists in the league. And he's going to, uh, so this is the exact quote, he's going to use all the resources available to him and he should. So if we find a new way to score goals from set piece, he says, okay. And then he said, the next thing I would have said probably would have gotten me, probably would have not gone over too well. If I'm reading between the lines, Mark, this is totally a thing that the Rapids are doing. They've looked at this, whether it's specific to Minnesota. I'm not entirely sure. I'm now officially going to call, Mark, a throw-in in which Keegan Rosenberry throws it in from the sidelines and it travels at least 15 yards before coming down or a Rapids player possessing it. I'm officially calling that a set piece. Say what you will, folks. The Rapids, for me, are officially long throws FC. Rabbi, bad things. Bad thing? I don't really know that there was one. I mean, I think what you said about the good thing was could be interpreted not as a bad thing, but like um, so another Matt Doyle thing that came out of him, so now I've spared you the need to read his article, but, but he didn't spend a lot of time focusing on what the Rapids did right, but more so what um, what's wrong with uh, Minnesota. But uh, one of the things that he said that was wrong with Minnesota is Dane St. Clair. And St. Clair spilled two balls, both of which were converted for goals, um, which points out that the Rapids are capitalizing on other teams' mistakes um, 
you could make an argument in this match that the Rapids won because Minnesota were bad, not because not because Colorado was exceptionally good. Now, that's nitpicking. And I think that, um, you know, folks like Jack Price, who I spoke with a couple weeks ago, is a really good interview that I did with him. First part, I'm going to work on editing the second part of the video, the uh, the interview later today and, and hopefully post it. But like um, Jack Price has talked a lot about the team just being unlucky uh, and that the guys have what they need to kind of turn around and get wins. Luck works both ways, right? And so we had to be a little bit lucky in order to win this game. Um, very few goalkeepers are going to spill two goals. It's great that we converted both of them, but um, you know we've got to make sure to, to win games without needing the other team to look like the Keystone Cops. Matt, any bad things from you? Yeah, I still think there's there's a lot of defensive faults. So to your point, Mark, you know, I think in reality, if Dane St. Clair played up to how he's been this season as an MLS All-Star, uh, Jossie Zarda should have only had one goal in this game. And the last two games, really, Rapid scoring nine goals total, five against Red Bulls to win 5-4, four, four in this game to beat Minnesota 4-3, were them capitalizing on mistakes that you can't necessarily count on other teams making in this one. If we're talking about, you know, somehow getting into the playoffs as the seventh seed and then having to play in Austin or a or an LAFC at home, you can't count on three or four howlers from the opponent and then hope that you convert two or three of those three or four in order to really help you get into the game offensively. So it was good to see the Rapids punish the opponents. I could see where it's a really easy to make an argument that you can't rely that, that that's not a reliable source of your offense. And this is still a team that when the opponent has numbers behind the ball and is organized and they're not crisp and effective in their passing, has struggled this season against good teams teams, against bad teams, against bunkering teams, against counterattacking teams to create offense and open them up without also exposing themselves as well. And so where where I think, Mark, there's maybe a little bit of fool's gold in this past week is, you know, they played New York Red Bulls who had to move their game to Tuesday because of the friendly they had over that weekend uh, against Barcelona. On that day, they were playing their fourth game in 10 days. Any MLS team, even with squad rotation, with Open Cup, playing the kids, effectively having Red Bulls 2 versus FC Barcelona was going to be shot. If you're talking about three games in 10 days, like, that's a scheduled loss, even if it's a home game for the most part. And then, you know, it should be pointed out that Minnesota struggled to create offense outside of Rapids mistakes with the exception of that second goal by Amaria, and they did so without... Emmanuel Reynoso, who's their MVP, Robin Ludd, who I would argue at worst is their third most important attacking player. I would say he can be as good as Fragapane. I think he's certainly more effective than Amaria, and he plays it on a bunch of different roles. So if you're talking about a player who can disorganize the Rapids defense by, you know, being very fluid, almost total football up front in that front four, that was something that made the Rapids life a little bit easier. I hesitate to say that the absence of Michael Boxall was super critical because I thought Brett Collins overall had an okay game. Obviously, you could argue he had a fault on the Diego Rubio goal because if he doesn't duck, he probably gets his head to that and Rubio doesn't score that thumping header at the near post. At the same time, he also scored on a header as well. So I... If Michael Boxel had done all of those things, I wouldn't have been singling out Michael Boxel as saying, oh, Michael Boxel is a backup center back, and that made it easier for the Colorado Rapids. But, you know, the two wins the Rapids had were against a team that had absolutely no legs after the 60th minute. That made it easier for them to finish them off. And Minnesota was missing their two of their three most important attacking players in a game that ultimately proved to be a shootout. And all of this is in the context of, I don't think Danny Wilson defensively on set pieces had a great 180 
many minutes last week, and this team continues to make mistakes to give their opponents options. The difference from those two games relative to games that we've seen earlier in the season is that the Rapids would get those same opportunities off of mistakes from the opponent and would not finish those. So this is a good sign in terms of what the team's doing offensively. Jossie Zardis is rounding into form. There's confidence in everything. And so potentially the results, the results lead to more belief, which lead to greater effort, which then back up those results in the long term. Uh, those lead to further confidence, which I think helps the team believe that they can get results against these good teams. And like I mentioned last week, maybe this perception, even if it's not reality, ultimately manifests reality. And so maybe right now, if the Rapids are going to make the playoffs mark, if this is going to be the start of a big long run, maybe this is them faking it until they make it in terms of the four point week against Orlando and the LA Galaxy, the six point week that they had last week. Last week, they improved some performances, tweak a few things. They increase by 10%. Lalos Abubakar comes back. He's better. If the defense figures things out and everything and all that happens and the offense continues to be really good, this can be a really, really good team. But the there are still underlying issues and there are certainly things that give me cause to pause about saying that the Rapids are back or that it's back on given the state of the opponents from last week. In that regard, I agree with Matt Doyle um, that you could dissect Saturday's game more about what was wrong with Minnesota, what was missing from Minnesota, rather than what Giassi's artists and the Rapids did well. Any big things from you, Rabbi, or shall we move on? Well, uh, it's all about sustainability. I mean, I really think uh, the team could could be said to have turned a corner. Um, this might be the beginning of something big. They may charge to a final spot in the playoffs, and that would be a big deal. Um, but it's not guaranteed. You know, it's it's uh, a couple good, good good results could just be bucking the trend and uh, re- regressing to the mean in the in the opposite direction. They've been unfortunate. They've lost a few games where they should have won, but they scored below their expected goals. Now they're scoring above their expected goals, right? If they go back to kind of pro- producing at average rate, um, we may be in trouble. And we also are facing some tough teams coming up, so we'll, we'll see. Um, it's it's really hard to be as wishy-washy as I am <laughs> and, 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 and be someone who you you uh, highline fans should listen to but like it really feels like rather than saying like categorically the rapids have turned a corner the rapids have certainly turned a corner whether that corner is going to lead to the finish line or is going to lead to a series of other corners turned to regress right back to the spot that they're in time will tell so we've got an Ask HDHL mark that's going to lead to me breaking down some XG numbers. Uh, there was an original tweet uh, on the weekend by Jordy Collins, and then it was quote tweeted by the notorious Burgundy Beard on Twitter uh, with the Ask HDHL. So uh, uh, Burgundy Beard says uh, this would be a good hashtag Ask HDHL. Can we get a performance review of our keeper? We might be sleeping on him at Rapazani 6 Podcast. The original quote's a photo of William Yarbrough celebrating. He's collected the ball. I think that's Abu Dunladi. It might be Kamar Lawrence in the background as well. I'm not sure about the context. Uh, I think this photo's from the second half. In any case, um, without Yarbrough's kick save in a 1v1 situation, this game ends 4-4. Hashtag Colorado versus Minnesota. Hashtag Rapids 96. So uh, Burgundy Beard and Jordy Collins, if we look at the overall XG for this game, the Rapids had an expected goals of 3.2. Minnesota had an expected goals of 1.4. If you're looking at the individual moments that ultimately should not have been goals, you would look at the third goal for Giassi Zardes had a lower XG on 
um, of about one quarter. And then the Brett Coleman chance also had about a 23% chance of going in. Those are both, as an individual moment, a relatively high XG for a single opportunity. But all of those come in the context of kind of a sequence where one team had been dominating, but maybe not created enough chances to ultimately have one expected goal. The other goals, for the most part, were relatively high percentage chance. Uh, Abu Nanladi, 60%. The first Giassi's artist goal had a 75% chance of going, and that's effectively a penalty um, from an opportunity. And then the first goal for Giassi's artist um, also had uh, about a 50-50 chance of going in. The chance for Hulongwei, still not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, folks, had an XG of 0.08, so less than a 1% chance of going in. You would look at a breakaway and think, oh, a breakaway has a better opportunity, but you look at it on the actual sequence. William Yarbrough comes off his line. By the time the ball is shot from its location, Yarbrough's right in front of it. It's effectively a bang-bang save, and there's also two defenders in closing on it. So how do you get the ball around the keeper in that? Relatively low percentage chance of that coming off, but that's dependent upon the defenders closing down on the player and William Yarbrough being a very alert goalkeeper. I think Yarbrough from a stat standpoint has certainly been to a disadvantage recently with the Colorado Rapids. I wouldn't say any one of the four goals that he gave up at Red Bull Arena were his fault or where he was even most at fault. I thought he had a good game for a goalkeeper that ultimately had four goals against and he thought he had several very good moments in this game despite giving up three goals on what should have been one and a half so we'll figure one or two goals ultimately conceded. The goals that he's conceded are spectacular goals by scored by the opponent where the reason why they were able to score those were mostly faults of the defense in front of him. I think Yarbrough's had a good season, despite what I've said about Keegan Rosenberry not always being good defensively. Danny Wilson, who I didn't think was particularly good defensively in those two games. You had Lucas Estevez, who was nutmegged on one of the plays that I think led to the second Minnesota goal. So William Yarbrough was doing a lot with the defense in front of him. He is certainly he certainly made a spectacular save in each of the game's last two weeks in order for the Rapids to get those two wins. Uh, and I, I don't believe that we should sleep on him. At any time you ask Robin Frazier about William Yarbrough, even in games where he concedes multiple goals, um, you know, he is quick to point out that that is not his fault. And he is a big reason for why this team has been successful. And he will need to be a big reason for this team to be successful if they want to make the playoffs this year. Listeners, this coming Saturday at Dick's Sporting Goods Park, the Colorado Rapids will be playing their first and only game of the season against Columbus Crew, and I believe their first game against the Crew since the start of the pandemic. The Rapids currently find themselves 10th in the Western Conference, just three points out of the playoffs. They have 30 points off of 23 games played, a record of eight wins, nine losses, and six draws, a goal difference of minus two, and at DSG this season, their record has now improved to seven, two, and three. Columbus Crew come in fifth in the Eastern Conference, 33 points off of 23 games played, a record of 8, 6, and 9, a goal difference of plus 5, and away from uh, their new stadium, they are 3, 2, and six. Mark, this is a team that was kind of struggling in the middle of the season, as Giassi's artists will attest to. This is a team that has come on strong in the last month, month and a half of the season with the arrival of Cucho Hernandez, who has been absolutely spectacular for him. He and Lucas Elarayon have been a great one-two punch as the number nine and the number ten. 
And they obviously have Darlington Yagby, who's still one of, if not the best American, number eight in Major League Soccer. Uh, Jonathan Mensah at the center back role and Eloy Room head up the defense, which has been a little bit leaky. I think that is certainly affected by the fact that they had to rotate out the center back position. Uh, they've had some injuries. Obviously, they no longer have Abubakar Keita, who is now injured with the Colorado Rapids. This is a team that is still leaky defensively. This is a team that was looking for a source of offense attacking-wise. Luis Diaz has been a little bit inconsistent. So, too, has um, – oh, who's the Portuguese guy that they have whose name I can never remember? Pedro Santos? Yes, Pedro Santos. Thank you, Mark. Um, I think he's Portuguese. Uh, so, oh, really? Uh, you know, they've, they've had some issues with – that rabbi, but um, they have a number nine who's in form. He's scoring on set pieces, uh, despite being new to Major League Soccer. This is literally a very good plug-and-play. In that regard, Mark, I will say that Columbus Crew was maybe maybe now in the long run, everybody other than Miguel Berry and maybe, um, uh, maybe Caleb Porter's PR and branding ultimately won this trade out because basically the excuse that they had was that Giassi Zardes was slightly underperforming, no longer worth his salary. They already had three DPs on the roster with him. Nagby, I think, is one of them. Maybe it's Pedro Santos that's the other, and then obviously Lucas Celereon. Basically, the replace, uh, the complaint that they had was you're not a guy that we could drop $4 million on, pay 3 to $4 million a year, and have them be an absolutely spectacular foreign DP signing. That is ultimately the complaint that they had about him. If we have the opportunity to move you within the league to then sign that player, we should because with the new stadium and the new ownership, we now have the financial might to do so. So basically the complaint is, would be similar if the Colorado Rapids said, Diego Rubio, you're great. You're a great individual player. You are a great player from the Colorado Rapids. We're going to sell you for like one and a half million dollars in game and then bring a great DP who's taking a step down to come to Major League Soccer, who's going to boss it like Carlos Heel. So basically, that's the situation here, is that we're saying, Rubio, you're great. You're not Carlos Heel. We're going to sign an MLS MVP caliber foreign designated player. Giassi Zardes, you're great. You've done a bunch of great things for the Colorado Rapids. You are not Joseph Martinez. We're going to go out and we're going to sign our equivalent of Joseph Martinez. I don't know that you can really uh, – I don't know that you can fault them for doing that now that it's worked out in the long run. I should point out, Mark, that uh, Giassi Zardes in his last game scored more goals than Miguel Berry has scored in league play all season. Miguel Berry has just two, and what was it? When was he traded? He was traded <coughs> – on July 20th to DC United, Columbus Crew got uh, 225K in general allocation money, and then there's some performance incentives up to 100K in that. So the ceiling for them getting their money back on Miguel Berry to DC United, who are not a good soccer team right now, folks, is 325K, just 25 grand more than the floor of what they sold Giassi's artists for. So in terms of Caleb Porter's comments about Giassi, you know, basically saying that Giassi's artists is washed, we don't think he can be a goal scorer or anything. We're going with this young guy who scored like two goals for me at the end of last season. I believe he should start he's our new future like three months later they traded him for less than the Rapids are ultimately going to get for Andre Shinyashiki and he's not even going to be a starter at DC United was on some level an acknowledgement Zardis was great he just wasn't amazing we're going to sign Cucho Hernandez is amazing uh, but Mark let, let's start from the top your thoughts on Columbus crew their recent form to get back into the playoff run what is Cucho doing well what is Lucas Celereon doing well what do we see in this team and the problems that they pose given that Celereon and Nagby did have to play midweek in Minnesota. 
Yeah. Um, so some some comments have been made about uh, the, the Zella Real and Cucho Hernandez connection being like the new Lucha Rue, that it's this really wonderful, um, exceptional thing. And I think that that's absolutely true, um, that they, those two are really powering the team right now. I'll just give you throw some throw some numbers. I have not nerded out on American soccer analysis tables recently, so I'll throw it out at you. Cucho Hernandez has um, 0.24 goals added per 96 minutes. And the reason that I, I um, normalize that by per 96 is because he's only played 445 minutes. Um, so if you compare him on the raw, he looks like a fairly above average MLS player. If you compare him based on you know, minutes played, he's one of the best players um, in the league right now. He's just coming in real hot. Uh, and doing exceptional things. Overwhelmingly, it's his passing, receiving, and shooting, which are the the stats that blow things up and are really impressive. Um, There's two other players to kind of note here. One you've already mentioned, um, and the other uh, is just someone who's a name from the distant past that nobody really talks about anymore, and that's Darlington Nagby. Darlington Nagby leads all the players on both teams in minutes played with 2,246, Nagby is the is basically um, if you looked up in the dictionary, the prototypical box to box both way midfielder, that's who he is. But in addition to that, if you looked at his expected um, uh, goals added or not his expected goals added, his goals added number, he's a zero point zero zero. And across even each one of the discrete statistics that makes up that dribbling, passing, shooting, interrupting, etc. It's all basically, he's either 0. 0.01, 0.02, or minus 0. 0.01 or 0. 0.02. The dude is very consistently average at everything he does. Um, it's a very solid player, but he's not exceptional. And I think that that's a thing to kind of think about, which is like, it's really great to have a player who's you can put out on the field and is going to give you rock solid production game in game out. He's going to split lines. He's going to hold the ball very well, but he's not going to dribble at you. He's not going to score kind of ridiculous um, highlight goals. He's not going to back heel it for a perfect assist, right? Like, so he's just Mr. Consistency. Like he's, he's the midfield metronome par excellence. And I think that's worthy of, of note, but I also think, what you have to think about when you think larger about what that means is Darlington Nagme is a former U.S. men's national team player. He used to be the straw that stirs the drink for this team. He is not anymore. I mean, this is basically like talking about Michael Bradley if we weren't talking crap about Michael Bradley. Because what we do in general these days when we talk about Michael Bradley is, hey, remember when he was awesome? Now he's garbage, right? And Darlington Nagme is Darlington Nagme is kind of the opposite of that story, which is, hey, remember when he was awesome and he was all we talked about? Now he's very consistent, right? He's he's very reliable, but, you know, if you need him to lift you up, you're in trouble. And the last player I'll just mention is just to throw the numbers at you of the um, other player that you mentioned, because he is at the absolute bottom of this table. Um, Miguel Berry has 1,044 minutes. He has a minus 11 in dribbling, which is, and that's normalized per 96. Um, he is worse than every other player on both the Rapids and on um, Columbus. And I, I would bet if you looked up strikers um, league wide, he'd be in the bottom five uh, of all strikers in MLS, right? So, which basically means, you know, the, the eye test on Miguel Berry is overwhelmingly, if you watched all of his possessions and all of his dribbles, 
what you'd see more than any other player is a man dispossessed, right? Sometimes in sports, someone says, he's a man possessed. If I was going to write an article about Miguel Berry, it would be, he's a man dispossessed, right? He dribbles at you, he turns it over. And that's that's what he's good at. I just want to throw out a couple other things. There's a few other players on this team that, um, you know, should have been more productive but aren't. Kevin Molino, the hot boy himself, is still a member of the Columbus crew, um, but has been injured all year and has been out. Um, a couple other players who are notable and worthy of mention. Marlon Harrison, uh, former Colorado Rapid wide player, wonderful guy. Uh, he's only played about 159 minutes for Columbus this year. Um, unlikely to see him. Last thing I'll say, Matt, is this. Um, this game is definitely the Jossie Zardes revenge match. This is where Jossie Zardes goes ham because he is angry, angry at Caleb Porter and just decides to like flame him up and cause problems. So... Um, we'll see how it goes. It should be a lot of fun. The other the other reunion that we're going to be having is Jonathan Mensa and um, his boy. Um, uh, uh, Lala Sabubakar. Lala Sabubakar. So two uh, Guyanan uh, players who also were both together on the back line for, um, uh, for Columbus. I would bet that they're going to go out for um, Jolliffe Rice when the game is over and maybe, you know, a couple of beers and, and talk about old times. So that's really good. Um, one last mention, I just I can't stop. Um, Derek Etienne, formerly of NYRB, is having a pretty good season for Columbus, 1,900, uh, 1,696 minutes. Um, he's been fairly productive. Uh, watch out for him. He's a wide midfielder who uh, can play very forward and can kind of throw in that ball. He's kind of the, the poor man's Thierry Henry, if you will. He comes from those wide uh, Man City locations and tosses in balls. He can also be a late arriver a la Cole Bassett um, and kind of like suck those balls into the back of the into the back of the net. So a lot of fun things on this team. I like watching them, um, but there are a lot of pieces that don't all kind of formulate together neatly into something that's consistently working on a regular basis. Yeah, no. So um, uh, Mark, I'm going to take a slightly different spin on the narrative that we're putting around this game about the Giassi's. This is absolutely Giassi's artist's first game against Columbus crew. I don't know that it's a revenge game or a revenge tour for the reason I'm going to get to first, but um, I'll prompt this, uh, this response from the Ask HTHL we got from Rapids Foreign Legion. Do you believe that Caleb Porter's comments regarding Giassi's artist will have any bearing on Saturday's match against Columbus Crew? And while still early, assess uh, the Zardis trade both for the Rapids and for Columbus Crew. As I mentioned earlier, Rapids Foreign Legion, I think ultimately how Columbus handled things post the trade was ultimately the right move. I think certainly Columbus lost it from the standpoint of we're going to get rid of Zardis and then get on the Miguel Berry hype train. They've proceeded to sell that for rock bottom price to DC United. Uh, but then obviously they've gotten Cucho Hernandez. So they've made an upgrade in terms of sending out one DP, uh, getting a good valuation in terms of if that trade ends up blowing up in their face in terms of Zardis going off with the Colorado Rapids, they'll be compensated accordingly, more than a million dollars in total assets there. And obviously they brought in a player who's scoring a bunch of goals, which Giassi Zardis was not doing with Columbus. So, um, I think that's good from a standpoint of Zardis wasn't a bad player. It just wasn't a healthy relationship. And so ultimately now Caleb Porter has found an actual good girlfriend that kind of meshes with uh, him from a puzzle piece standpoint. And at the same time, I think Zardis has found that 
as well. But so Zardis was asked about this, um, about this mark, kind of um, about how he was going to handle the Columbus game. And he said that he was going to treat it like every other opponent that has come into the stadium. Uh, it's an important, uh, you know, to focus on the week watching film with the coaching staff. Um, and then my attacking coach, watching with my attacking coaches and trying to find ways to exploit their particular team. Obviously, a defense that he's very familiar with. Jonathan Mensa, Eloy Room were both there with him in Columbus. Uh, and, you know, I treat it like any other opponent. You've got to leave the emotions and everything else out because if you do, then you're, that is going to control you and you can't let that happen. Um, and that's at the game. When the game starts, uh, we just want to try and win three points. You know, Mark, I've asked him about this. I've asked him about a few other uncomfortable things. You know, we had the interview with him uh, that I featured on this podcast asking about his relationship with Kyler Porter and rather focus on how things ended. He said, you know what? He was a coach who gave me a chance, helped me score a bunch of goals, almost win the golden boot. And ultimately he was the head coach that helped me start in and help lead a team to an MLS cup final and to winning MLS cup. And I will always be grateful for that. And so I think that Jossie's artist has been extremely stoic throughout his life and throughout his career, despite two really uncomfortable exits from clubs that ultimately he was comfortable at and he was really happy at. And ultimately he loved, you know, so if I'm pulling up, I think I still have this tagged on my Twitter. I posted this mostly to get clout with LA galaxy Twitter. Nice. So I asked him after the game against the LA Galaxy, scored against his former team, about what emotions come up. Bearing in mind, folks, that ultimately his departure from the LA Galaxy was being played at outside back by Siggy Smith, being just relented for the fact that he couldn't solve the scoring woes of the LA Galaxy. Him being injured and basically saying, we need to trade this guy, like basically almost ran him out of town from a Twitter standpoint. I think Zardis is a healthy enough individual to where he does not check his Twitter mentions. But so, you know, quotes, he said, "This that's my hometown team that I grew up playing for being the first team that gave me an opportunity to play professionally, which I'm thankful for. At times... Uh, anytime I step on the field against them, it's always something special. I'm always going to give my all for the club that I'm playing for, but I will always respect LA Galaxy. I'm a loyal person. Everything they've done for me over the years when I was part of that organization, I will always pay respect. I'm thankful for them. So thankful for the team that gave him an opportunity, but ultimately said, you're not good enough. You want to be a striker. Go play somewhere else. Goes to Columbus Crew, plays under Greg Berhalter, scores a bunch of goals. Caleb Porter comes in, immediately respects what he's done in the league, helps him score a bunch of goals, helps him win an MLS Cup. He started for a team. He was the second most important player, uh, maybe third, depending on where Nagby was at that point. Zell Ryan obviously showed his quality in that MLS Cup final against Sounders, a 3-0 victory for them. Uh, during the COVID season in 2020. And then what does he say about Columbus? It's just another game. You know, I'm focused on the opponent. How can I exploit them? I'm not focused on the emotions whatsoever. <laughs> if... Marcus Aurelius and if Nelson Mandela are 10 out of 10s on the stoicism scale, Giassi's artist has to be at least an 8.5. We've spoken, Mark, both you and I, to players that have come to the Rapids as part of, you know, revenge of the distressed assets FC. And Kellen Acosta clearly still had some energy for FC Dallas. I think the next time that he still plays, the certainly the two times that he's played against Colorado Rapids, he's had the same energy for the Rapids as he had for FC Dallas in the first two years that he was at. Colorado. I still think that Mark Anthony K probably has some feelings around LAFC with John Thorrington. I think we can now say that's probably more directed at the front office than it was at Bob Bradley, a coach who he's reunited with um, with the Columbus crew. So I think that's something to take into account. But, you know, we've seen that revenge energy, you know, 
Jonathan Lewis was still a little bit bitter about how things ended with New York Red Bulls. And so, you know, or excuse me, with New York City FC and with Domi Torrent after he finally got an opportunity under Patrick Vieira, I don't think Giassi Zardes has a vengeful bone in his body. I think he's going to show up on the field and everything. And this is going to be like you running into your ex and it's be like, you know what? I'm in a new relationship. Oh, hey, there's my ex. Oh, hey, <laughs> Caleb Porter's got a new girlfriend. It's Cucho Hernandez. You know what, Caleb Porter? Good for you. I'm happy for you. Like, I'm just going to go be happy with my girlfriend, Robin Frazier. This is getting really weird, folks. I apologize. You know, I'm going to be happy with my new club. Go back to the stoic philosophy that's a little bit less uncomfortable. Okay, so I I think that's how he's handled it. I think every single player that comes to the Rapids with a point to prove handles it in their own way. And I think Giassi is just at a new end of a new spectrum that I'm not sure, Mark, you or I – we're convinced exists in high level, extremely competitive, you know, alpha male athletes that can exist in this. And I think it's it's proven to work for Giassi's artists. I think the other ways that those players that I've mentioned, ultimately it's worked for him. Zardis has found his own path. He looks at the LA Galaxy. It's like, ah, that's the club that gave me my first opportunity. I learned so much from Robbie Keane, from Bruce Arena, from Landon Donovan. I won an MLS Cup with them. Oh, that's Columbus Crew. They gave me an opportunity after LA Galaxy were done with me. Caleb Porter helped me win MLS Cup. Now I'm here with Colorado Rapids. They're giving me an opportunity. I'm going to do everything to try and get three points on Saturday. I'm going to do everything to try and get this team into the playoffs, bring a second MLS Cup back to Colorado. Oh, the LA Galaxy are doing that with Chicharito Hernandez and with Dejan Jovic. You know what? Good for them. I'm happy for them. Oh, Columbus Crew are doing their stuff with Lucas Elaran, with Cucho Hernandez. You know what? Good for them. I'm not going to give them any energy beyond that. And I think that's the healthy approach for Giassi Zardes. I do think, Mark, given the familiarity and given how Columbus have been defensively, giving up two goals in their last game to uh, NYCFC without Tati Castellanos, I do think the Rapids will get opportunities. I do think the Rapids will be able to score goals in this game. I do think Jossie Zardes will be able to score goals in this game. I think we're seeing an improved team in terms of what they're doing on set pieces. Long throws FC with Keegan Rosenberry. Jack Price potentially 60 minutes fit, having played the 45 that he did against... Minnesota United, I think is going to make them better attacking-wise, where my main concern is, is this going to turn into another game that's a shootout? And unlike Minnesota, unlike New York Red Bulls, Columbus crew are absolutely loaded with MLS All-Star Lucas Elleron and with Cucho Hernandez. If they can be remotely better defensively, if Danny Wilson can handle Cucho, whether it's Jack Price, Brian Acosta, if they can negate Lucas Elleron in any ways that other teams have not been able to, especially given this is a road game, a road game that Columbus has struggled on. Their first game at altitude, I'd have to assume since the start of the pandemic, potentially. I think the Rapids have a chance in this one. Mark, honestly, just given the quality of the opponent and everything and given the emotions around the game, maybe for other people for Giassi's artist rather than Giassi's artist himself, I would take a 1-1 draw given where I think Columbus is going to finish in this game. I think the Rapids can win this game if they play defensively like how they have the last two games, I, uh, I'm very concerned that the Rapids could be in trouble in terms of dropping points at home. It's a, it's a good match for us. Uh, it's a good, it, they're very, they're very even teams. There's just a lot in common. It feels very much like a drawable game, if not a winnable game. So I think, uh, you know, uh, the advantage goes to the team playing on the home field. So, you know, that's, you've got to play up to that level either way. And I think that's, that's one of the more important things to say. Again. Will be occurring at a weird time, so almost certainly won't be able to watch it. Um, but I'll probably be, and I, I just looked up to see who my what my team is uh, is playing. It's not the first week of the 
Israeli Premier League season this week. It's the um, basically our version of the Cupity Cup Cup. But in Israel, the Cupity Cup Cup starts kind of like in the summer. So they make it they 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 started off with the lower teams and then the teams that are like the top of the league last year enter in the final rounds. And that doesn't happen until November, December. And so the kind of like uh, Johnson Paint Cup, Cupity Cup Cup is basically just a you know, like a U17 to U23 cup. And so the game will certainly not be uh, televised. Um, if I go to a soccer bar on Saturday night, I'm almost certainly going to be watching, you know, like Paris Saint-Germain or, or some Bundesliga action. But at least I'll be sculling a pint with a bunch of Israeli football fans of some kind. So as long as I can find that 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 place wherever it, it shall be so mark basically what you're telling me is that the israeli cup is the answer to the question what if the uh the mls preseason tournament that has the armadillo trophy like merged with the third round fa cup with the big teams coming in late as well and also it's not on tv so it's actually worse than the open cup from a broadcasting and a branding standpoint yeah, just from a fun, for anybody still listening to our podcast at this point, <laughs> um, who, hasn't, <laughs> who hasn't listened to the predictions and then shut it off. Um, one of the fun things about the history of the Israeli Premier League is that it it, it precedes the state of Israel itself. Um, the state of Israel was founded in 1948 after a independence after the British pulled out. Um, kind of a similar story to Britain all over the world. And um, but the, the league was founded, I think, in like 37 or something like that. And if you go and you look at the first like 10 champions or five champions of the Israeli Premier League, or it was called back then the Mandatory Palestine League. Um, it's like the first five champions are called the British policemen. You know, like the, it's because like the British police had their own team. And then the next two years, it was the Israeli Labor Federation team. You know, it was very like kind of Soviet, uh, you know, like the the tradesmen, the different laborers of the time kind of took the league. And so, you know, but if you're if you're wondering, it doesn't uh, Arab teams have won the Israeli league before. There's a town in Israel called B'nai, uh, called Sakhnin. And B'nai Sakhnin um, is an all Arab uh, town. And the, the team is predominantly arab few few uh, uh israeli uh non-arab players aka jewish players um on the team and uh, they've won the league i think once or twice so you know it's a it's an interesting league it's it's pretty it's hard to watch though unfortunately you pretty much have to pay 40 dollars a month to some random cable company in israel in order to get it there's no there's no way to watch this league so which is why i'm really purring, pulling for um maccabi haifa to get into it Listeners, you can support us in a lot of different ways. One way is by supporting our um, uh, our paid partners, our uh, our sponsors. Our sponsors are Icarus FC and Roughneck Scars, the purveyors of fine quality custom clothing uh, that you can wear, you can get customized, you could do for sportswear, or you could do for some sort of party or activity. You can also buy their back catalog, all sorts of good stuff there, especially women's uh national team players, uh, mostly of your, but some who are still on the ball club. Check them out at roughneckscarves.com or IcarusFC.com. Matt, tell them how to hit us on the socials, our written materials, or how to support this fine, fantastic podcast. Listeners, follow us collectively on the Twitter machine at soccer underscore rabbi at LWS Matt Pollard and at Rapids 96 podcast. Check out all of our written work at Pittsburgh Soccer Now 
Last word on sports.com backslash soccer and holding the highline.substack.com. You can now go out and read my travel guide that I put out for going to attend a Rapids away day, um, uh, a Rapids abroad away day on what it would look like to go visit Antwerp and see Royal Antwerp with Sam Bynes, who started three games. And hopefully, Mark, this article doesn't become immediately obsolete with Cole Bassett potentially getting loaned to Fortuna Sitar. But I also had some really nice things about Fire Nord. If nothing else, I, I try to be very visual about it. I'm currently listening to this podcast called Far Flung that tries to be very visual as an auditory podcast about travel and abroad and focusing on something really specific to kind of immerse you in there. I tried to do that in a writing form. Hopefully, I did a really good job. If nothing else, I posted a bunch of pictures that I think are cool, and maybe then you can live vicariously through my trip and then live vicariously as we try to watch uh, our two Rapids abroad as they try to compete in their respective European and club competitions as well. Sam Bynes being a starter, Cole Bassett probably coming off the bench. I still contend will be a regular starter in this second half of the season after the World Cup will prove himself to Arne Slot and will ultimately get sold to Fire Nord, but we'll see. Uh, and so you can check that out at holdingthehighline.substack.com. Uh, subscribe to us in email form there. Uh, you can also become a paid Highliner there, five bucks a month or forty-two bucks for a year. And if you do that, you can request one specific uh, con- piece of content from us—an article, response to a question, or a podcast episode behind the paywall on a specific topic. If we bring further monetary value to your life and you just want to give us a single dump of cash, you can also head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash Rapids96podcast. Send us your questions on Twitter, like Rapids Foreign Legion and the Notorious Burgundy Beard on Twitter using the hashtag AskHTHL or email us at Rapids96podcast at gmail.com. Listeners, we will see you next week. Peace!